Episode 63, Christy Whitman, New York Times bestselling author. I found myself, you know, accomplishing everything I set out to accomplish, but I wasn't happy. I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes. Because we all make mistakes. But what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. For show notes, including links to Christie's website and her books, you can go to markraven.com slash mistake 63. Please subscribe, rate and review. And now on with the show. Our guest today is Christy Whitman. She is a transformational leader. Um, She's a celebrity coach. She is author of many books, including being a a two-time New York Times bestselling author of the book, The Books, The Art of Having It All and Taming Your Alpha Bitch. She's also the author of the international bestseller, Quantum Success. And her next book, The Desire Factor, is going to be released in April 2021. You can pre-order it today and you'll learn more about that at the end of the episode. Um, Christy has appeared on the Today Show, the Morning Show, and the Hallmark Channel. She's been a TEDx speaker. So thank you for coming on my little podcast. It's not quite the Today Show, but thank you for being here. <laughs> thank you for having me, Mark. I'm excited to be with you. Uh, I saw some video. I mean, you were on set. That must have been an exciting experience. On set of, of the Hallmark, the Today Show. Oh, the Today Show. Oh, yes, t- Today yeah. Show. Sorry. Yeah, it was it was a it was a big experience because this is several years ago. I had lots of media experience, but never nationally and never live. So I felt my foot kicking in nervousness, and all of a sudden I had to like calm my body down as we went live. So it was <laughs> it was fun. It was a unique experience. Well, I'm, I'm excited. You know, we have a lot to talk about today. Um, but Christy, if it's all right, maybe I'll just uh, jump right in. I usually do. I don't know why I'm apologizing for this, but what what is your favorite mistake? Well, I have many, but my first, my my biggest one is that when I moved to Chicago after I graduated college, I found myself, you know, accomplishing everything I set out to accomplish, but I wasn't happy. And I met a guy who was working for the company that I was working for. He lived in California. I lived in Chicago. So we were doing a long distance thing. And I decided to move to California for him so we could develop a deeper relationship. And within less than a month of moving there, I found out that he was a cheater and this kind of thing. And so I was there in Northern California I had no friends, no support team, nobody. I didn't know anybody. And here was this guy that I had moved, you know, to Northern California for. And so that was such a mistake. And yet that's when I met a girlfriend of a friend of his who was a hairdresser and hairstylist. And when I got my haircut from her, that's what led me on this path 25 years ago because she had this effervescent joy about her. She had, she was so different than anybody I had ever met. And I finally just asked her, I said, what do you do? And she told me I meditate. And I thought at that point in my life, I never knew anybody that meditated. I thought, oh, oh a meditated, you know, person that meditates is like a guru sitting on top of a mountaintop somewhere with long beard, right? Oming right. in a yogi position. I mean, that's what my filter was for someone that meditated. 
And that conversation, and she introduced me to her meditation teacher, that whole completely changed my life. So that was my best mistake I have ever made, is moving to Northern California for a guy. (laughs) And I'm sorry that turned out that way, but I guess what makes it a favorite mistake is that something good came from it. This introduction, not not just to a new friend, but I guess uh, to, to new ways of looking at things, as you've written about and talked about. Um, I was wondering, you know, maybe if you could elaborate a little bit on, you know, what your initial career path was out of college. You describe, you know, um, finding success but not being happy. Uh, why? Why was that the case? Yeah. So I always knew I wanted to make my own money. My, you know, I came from a family that was pretty dysfunctional. And when I would say to my mom, when my mom and dad would get in an argument, I'd say, well, why why don't you leave him? Like my sister and I would encourage her to get a divorce. And she's like, I can't, I don't have, how am I going to, you know, take care of myself? I don't have any money. And so for me at a young age, I knew I wanted to make my own money. And so for me, it was about getting into sales and marketing because that's what I was told from the successful people around my mom and dad that said, oh, you need to do sales and marketing. So I went to college for a marketing business degree, ended up getting an organizational communication degree. And but I did get a job. My very first job out of college was I worked for a liquor company. And boy, did I have fun as a 22, 23 year old, you know, going around the city of Chicago, having to go to bars and restaurants and hotels, meeting managers, throwing Seagram's parties, you know, doing these kind of things. And then I quickly got promoted by one of the suppliers for the liquor company, which was a wine company. So my job was literally to meet the managers and owners and F&B managers of all these different, you know, amazing hotels and restaurants and bars and go and eat there on the company's dime. So I always say I ate my way through Chicago, right? (laughs) Ate and drank my way through Chicago. And so, but I... I succeeded, you know, I got promoted very quickly. I was very young. I was 24 and I had literally the whole region of the Midwest for this wine supplier. And so a lot of success, a lot of recognition, a lot of accolades, but I just did not feel fulfilled. I I was empty inside and I felt like, wow, is this really all there is? You know, I, I have accomplished so much. I went to college. I got a degree. I've got a high paying job. I've got money in the bank. I've got health in my body, you know, but and I was at one point engaged and broke off my engagement, you know, so it's like, why am I not happy? And it's just I didn't have an inner connection. But more importantly, my mindset and this is what literally shifted my life when I met my meditation teacher is that I was so in lack and limitation. My mindset was focused on it's never enough. It's not good enough. I didn't do enough. I didn't make enough. I'm not enough. I was very critical in my thinking, very judgmental, not only about myself, but everybody around me, God, the universe, you know, I was like in a boxing ring with God. And if you're having that going on inside of you, it just that no matter what, what you accomplished and whatever, what you create, it's, if that's happening internally, you're never going to feel good. And and that's what was happening with me. And so then how did meditation affect you personally? And then from a professional standpoint, that got you pointed in a different direction that it sounds like has been much more fulfilling. Yes. Well, so I, I transitioned into meditation, but why it was so impactful for me is not just the act of meditation. Yes, but it was the energy that I was shifting into. And so one of the things when I first walked into this meditation teacher's house, 
with clinky, clinky music and incense and candles and, you know, statues. And I was like, what am I doing? This was not my normal place of going, right? We, we didn't sit on a chair. We sat on the ground on a cushy, you know, cushy little thing. Yeah. And, um, and the first thing she said to me was, you create your own reality. And this is 25 years ago, right? This, we didn't have internet. We, we didn't have the secret and all these other, you know, personal development people out there. I think Tony Robbins was probably out there somewhere, but I certainly didn't know of him, right? So self-development, personal development, and hearing the words, you create your own reality, something just opened up in me. And I was like, that's true. How? But then I went, how? And she continued further that your thoughts are creative. You're either repelling things from you or attracting things to you based on the way you think. And I thought, the way I think, how, you know, the way I think is how I think. I mean, how can someone change that? I mean, I knew I could change my mind. I don't want to wear this. I want to wear this. I don't want to go here. I want to go there. But my thoughts, like, what do you mean? How can I, how can I actually change my thoughts? And that was her assignment to me. She said to me, go home for a week and just pay attention. Don't try to change them. Just pay attention to your thoughts. Be the witness to your thoughts. And that's the first time I ever did that and went, oh my God, I am so mean. I'm so mean to myself. And I remember saying to my best friend who I've known since seventh grade, I told her, I said, Dawn, I am so judgmental and critical. And she goes, Chris, she laughed out loud. She goes, Christy, you are the most positive people I know. And I'm like, well, I don't know what happens between here and here, but inside here, it, it, I mean, I'm in a boxing ring with myself and it does, and I'm not winning. (laughs) You know, and so so I was practicing learning how to change my thoughts and understanding about what makes up a lack mentality versus an abundant mentality. And all the while, when I moved to uh, I did a lateral move from Chicago to California and I was working for the wine company and then I got recruited from Pepsi Cola. So I was a manager, a marketing manager for Pepsi Cola in the Sacramento area. And from there, I then became a pharmaceutical rep and. What's interesting is I always wanted to be a pharmaceutical rep because they made a lot of money, right? So I was very driven by money. Well, here I am making great money as a pharmaceutical rep, and I found myself in that place again where I'm like, okay, I'm empty here. I don't have passion and I don't have purpose. I could go out and sell more medications, but really what's the purpose? And I felt totally out of integrity because if I get a headache, I put peppermint oil on my head. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't even take an aspirin. And so here I was, you know, pushing medication for stuff. And so I really got that what I had understood and learned about energy and everything is that if I'm feeling a lack, if I'm feeling I'm missing something, energetically there's the fulfillment of that and in order to create the form of that and the experience of it, I have to feel what I feel is missing. So for me it was passion and purpose. So I continued to Having that awareness, feel what being on purpose would feel like, having passion would feel like without knowing what the form would take. And then one night in the middle of the night, my first book downloaded through me. I literally got woken up at 105 in the morning with this voice talking to me. I got up, put hand to hand, you know, pen to paper and just started writing. It was like my hand was completely not my own, just downloading information. And this happened seven nights in a row. And I got, I fast forward, I got the book published. I started speaking in spiritual bookstores and churches on the subject and people started asking me to coach them. Now, 
Mark, this is 20 years ago. I didn't know about life coaching. And I thought, are you serious? There are life, there are people that make money as life coaches, like people pay people to do that. And so I would have people call me on the phone and I would walk them through the energy and I would shift them their perspective and help them, you know, really change the direction, their focus. And then they would call me back going, oh, my gosh, I got the promotion or I met him or, you know, I got out of debt or these incredible things that happen very fast. And I loved I was so passionate about doing that entire process. And I felt so on purpose that I continued to just follow that. And so 14 years ago, I left corporate America. I ended up as a sales training manager for a biotech company. And I ended up quitting my day job and went full time in my coaching. And I haven't looked back since. So Wow. And, and I, don't, I didn't put it in my notes. Remind me, tell the audience the title of that first book. Perfect Pictures. Perfect Pictures. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you finally found, it sounded like you were looking for... Uh, something different and slightly different areas. Like, forget, I, I mean, this is only half jokingly, moving from one drug to another, from alcohol to sugar yes. and <laughs> sugary water yes. um, to pharmaceuticals. And, and I guess that was, those experiences were more similar than they were different. And you, you eventually decided to to go out on your own. Yes. Yeah. I felt, yeah. I mean, I, I, that's one thing I'm so grateful for is that whenever I'm doing an interview or I'm working with a client or teaching a class or writing, whatever I'm doing, it's like, I am fully on purpose and I am passionate about what I do. That's great. Um, so there was one phrase that was on your website. Um, that caught my attention. You talked about a life of no excuses. So I was wondering if, if you could share your thoughts on like, how do we find the balance of acknowledging mistakes without making excuses, you know, how, how do we learn, how do we look backward and learn without beating ourselves up? What, what are your thoughts about that? As people evaluate their own favorite mistakes that might be in their head right now? That's a great question. I appreciate that question because, you know, we all do make mistakes, right? We, mm-hmm. But, but I like to, I don't like, I don't like to think of them as mistakes in the sense that it's all a contrast. You know, there's the contrast happens where we make a decision, we ha- we make a choice based on where we are in consciousness, what we think is available to us, the understanding awareness that we have at the time that we make that choice. And we might look back and go, well, that was a mistake, right? It's like, well, that taught me something. I learned something. I grew. I expanded because of that, right? And that's the perspective that I hold. The other perspective is I made a mistake and it's because of that mistake that I've ruined my life, that I can't be successful, that I can't have the love of my life, that I can't find a new partner, that I can't lose the weight. And we use the the decisions that we've made in the past from the point of choice that we had, the consciousness that we had with the awareness that we had at that time to be the excuse for why we can't live fully now. Oh, right. right. So it's a different perspective looking at it as, you know, this is where I was then. This is what was happening. This is what I created because that's where I was. And but what what I got from that is that I didn't want to be in that marriage and be with this type of person. I got a divorce and then I chose to be in a different relationship with a very different kind of person. Right. So someone could look at that and go, well, the mistake was you got married in the first place to that person or the mistake was that you got married and that you got a divorce. Right. But that shouldn't be an excuse to not try again. Exactly. 
So anything, I feel like anything that stops us, limits us, us from our greatness, from taking our now moments and creating the future that we want based on something that has happened in the past, that's using those quote unquote mistakes or those decision points as an excuse rather than a, le- a stepping stone. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. And that's what this show is really uh, about is, is using past mistakes as a stepping stone if that hasn't already happened. Right. And sharing those stories. And, um, you know, uh, you know uh, I've, I've gotten feedback from listeners who say it ends up being um, uh, on the sur- it be- ends up being uplifting. You think, well, why do I want to listen to a show? Why would I listen to a show about mistakes? But, you know, every guest has their their turnaround or the redemption story of bouncing back. Yes. From a mistake, um, as, as you described, Christy. So um, before we talk about The Desire Factor, the book that's coming out in April, um, I want to go back to the other title. And my uh, my wife and I were watching, uh, there's this Netflix series about the history of uh, swear words. I don't know if you've, I don't know if you've seen this. <laughs> no. Seen this. no. It, and um, so the word, there's a whole episode about the word bitch. And so. Oh, I got to watch um, this. I like it. Yeah. And so I'm a little, like, given the context, it's not a word that's part of my normal vocabulary. And I, I feel sensitive as a man saying the word, but it's the title of the book. So I'm going to just spit it out. Taming your alpha bitch. Um, what, if, from your perspective, I mean, what is an alpha bitch or in the description of the book, it talks about quote unquote, hyper aggressive alpha bitches what 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 is that and um is 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 having that sort of persona a mistake for career women yes because most women learned how to model our success formula over men and when men are super aggressive or they're you know they're competitive you know when they when they do these kind of things that's okay for a man it's like it's acceptable for a man when a woman does it she's now termed a bitch Right. And we we try to as a female try to live life or try to succeed, especially in careers in a very masculine way. And it and it doesn't feel good. And yet women are judged for that instead of being in a very different type of power, instead of being in a place of competition, being collaboration and inspiration, instead of being controlling, which comes from fear, which comes from lack really coming from a place of feeling your empowerment and the possibilities and feeling your abundance. So, you know, it's it's a big shift for women, especially for really for men too. you know, to to come from this very old you know paradigm of what success looks like by bullying power over power under, you know, kind of doing drama and, and doing that kind of thing where you're controlling the situation instead of really leading from your heart and coming from the divine part of you. And so that book was was co-written with another author named uh, her name is Rebecca Grotto, and she's a therapist. She's been a therapist for almost thirty five years. And being a coach myself, it was a, it was a combination of seeing women that come in both therapy and coaching that are having issues, and what was they're bumping up against is the fact that they're being hyper aggressive, that they're being super competitive, and it never leads to the desire that they want and the outcome that they want in the first place. And we're termed being a bitch. There's that unfortunate and apparent double standard. Yes. In those behaviors, um, and uh, yeah, I mean, my my wife is. Um, you know, a, a senior executive in a, in a company that has traditionally been um, male dominated. So she's certainly had to navigate that 
um, as, as an accomplished career woman? How, how do you stay true to yourself? How do you, um, how do you fit in? How do you navigate that? Maybe I'll have her as a guest sometime. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, it's, you know, it is, it's a matter of understanding that the paradigms that we learn from and, and who grew, you know, we, we saw being successful, sometimes that modeling isn't the best for our own souls and our own, you know, experience of expansiveness. Yeah. Yeah. I think she would say if she was sitting here that, you know, I think she's navigated that well in terms of having her authentic feeling leadership style. I mean, you know, we've, we've talked about this over, uh, you know, dinner conversations over this. So I appreciate how she's navigated that, but you know, that's, you know, the, the perspective I think I've received of, um, you know, it's kind of, um, yeah, not not having to deal with that personally. I, I appreciate having learned from her yeah. what that's like in the workplace. Um, so the upcoming book, um, the Desire Factor. Uh, I always like to ask authors, you know, the story behind the book. You've written a couple of books already. Did this one also just come to you, or you know, what was the uh, the origin story for the Desire Factor? Yeah, I, I don't, I'm not the kind of person or kind of author that just go, hey, I have an idea for a book. Let me just go write the book. It literally downpours through me. It, it channels mm-hmm. through me. And so this was one where I was on a cruise ship. A lot of times it's always on a cruise ship. I was on a cruise ship and I got this just download of how, how come people think that some desires are okay to go for, but others are not? And what sparked this is because I was on a cruise ship. I had just gone to Venice and I had wanted to buy a high-end purse, right? Mm-hmm. And this purse, really, I was excited about it because it was a symbol of my success because years prior, when I went to Venice, I just started my business and there was no way I could have went into any of these stores. It would have been completely stupid to do that, you know, to, to buy a $3,000 purse, right? Um, when I was just starting out my business. And so I declared that I, someday I'm going to come back to Venice and I'm going to be so successful that I can walk into any store that I want and buy this purse that I want. And here I was, I had that experience. I went to Venice with my husband. It was a shopping day, you know, went in and out of Dolce and Gabbana and Fendi and Louis Vuitton and Chanel and all these different stores until I found that one purse that really spoke to me from Dolce and Gabbana. And I was looking at this purse going, this is like a symbol of success. This, this is not only this desire, it's who I became in the process of attaining this desire. But then it came through, but some would say that's materialistic. Some would say, oh, that desire is not a good desire. You should desire for world peace. You should desire for you know, equality. You, that's where your focus and your attention should be on that kind of desire because that's a noble desire. Wanting a purse or wanting success in a business or wanting more money or wanting a bigger house, these are things that are materialistic and, and therefore that's not a good desire. And that's this, all this information started downloading through me that everything in our physical universe, it's material, but what's under the material is spiritual. You cannot have a human experience without it not being a, a spiritual experience. It's both and. And so whether we have a desire for a high-end purse or to create a company or to have a baby or to get married or to get a divorce or to travel somewhere, all of it is for the expansiveness of who we are. And the human being gets to wear the purse or go on the trip or spend the money or live in the house. But 
we talk ourselves out of desires. Mm-hmm. We've, we get this idea and we feel this expansiveness of a desire. And then how many times do we go, but who am I to do that? Oh, I don't know how to do that. Oh, someone probably already did that. Right. And we stop, we stop mm-hmm. the desire. Well, that's earlier. You were saying you were kind of boxing with yourself is the, I think the phrase that you use in a couple of cases, somebody may be doing that or wanting something, then feeling guilty about it and agonizing and going back and forth. That's some of, sometimes that inner monologue might be happening. You might be judging yourself if somebody's not externally judging you for the fancy purse, right? Right, exactly. And we, we don't realize that when we get these desires, when we get these ideas, they come from a higher source. But if we squash them, we don't flow with them, then we miss out on the expansive, expansiveness that's available for us. Yeah. I mean, you're triggering for me some memories of, um, you know, I've had an opportunity to go to Venice and, you know, in Italy, they're known for, um, you know, leather craftsmanship. And I can picture really vividly um, buying, it wasn't Dolce & Gabbana expensive, but um, a leather belt and uh, a leather coat. And like, to me, it's more than the coat, like the, those items are, you know, um, are, you know, provide memories of a great experience. So in a way, it's more than the, the physical item itself. It sort of represents the ability to travel and to um, support a local craftsman or however you might put it. It's not just holding up my pants. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so, so it's beyond the functionality yeah, <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, so that book is coming out in April. And uh, again, our, Chris, our, our guest is uh, Christy Whitman. Um, can you tell the audience um, what they get and how, well, for one, how they can pre-order the book today and um, what kind of special offers that you have related to it? Yes, thank you for that, Mark. Um, so you can go to thedesirefactor.com, thedesirefactor.com. And you can pre-order the book. It comes out in April. But when you pre-order the book, why you'd want to do that is because immediately you get three amazing processes that will help you start flowing and aligning with your desires today so that any resistance of your desires is out of there so that you're in complete vibrational alignment with it. And then when the book does come out in May, we start a four-week live coaching session on all the different principles in the book. And so that's a $900 value for buying a less than $15 book. Wow. And and the book's website is? Thedesirefactor.com. Thedesirefactor.com. And you can learn more about Christy and her background and all of the different books and projects um, at christywhitman.com. It's uh, C-H-R-I-S-T-Y Whitman.com. And there'll be a link to that in the show notes and description. And then one other kind of final question. There was another project of yours that caught my interest. I mean, there's a website, watchyourwords.com. So maybe final final question here. Um, can I think you've alluded to it earlier when you, you think about words that are in your head in terms of internal monologue, but you know, why is it so important um, for us to all be careful with or to watch our words? Well, our words have creative power. And when you think about a word, it literally starts the creation process. Like words are like wands, right? So w- when you think about a thought, thoughts are a series of words. When you think about a belief, 
A belief is thoughts that have been thought over and over and over again until it gets cemented in as a belief, and we create from our beliefs. And from those beliefs, from that perspective, it creates our emotions, it creates the actions we take or don't. So everything, everything in our consciousness starts with a word. And so, yes, watch your words. I would get asked all the time because I talk about very esoteric, spiritual, you know, uh, universal law principles. And people would ask me in interviews, how do you practically do that? Like, what's a practical example of how you can align more with what you want and less of what you don't? And I say, you have to watch your words. So I created a free video series. It's a 30-day video program. The videos are anywhere from two to four minutes per day. And you get what word to avoid saying, why, and what to say instead. And it's a very powerful process because there are words and phrases we use all day, every day, and we don't realize how it's just pulling down our energy. Well, I think uh, that's something worth, uh, I, I took a look at it. I will dig deeper into that because that sounds like that would be very helpful. So again, our guest has been Christy Whitman. Um, Christy, uh, congratulations on the near launch of the book. And thank you for making those different offers available. And thank you for being a guest here today. Thank you so much for having me and all that you're doing in the world to shift the perspective on mistakes. Thank you, Mark. Again, big thanks to Christy Whitman for being our guest today. If you want to learn more about her, you can find links to her website and her books, including her latest, by going to markgraven.com slash mistake 63. And I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes, how you can learn from them or turn them into a positive. I've had listeners tell me they've started being more open and honest about mistakes in their work, and they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe to speak up about problems because that leads to more improvement and better business results. If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me, myfavoritemistakepodcast at gmail.com. And again, our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com.